Welcome to the Potter's House podcast. We pray that this week's message encourages you. If you'd like to learn more about the Potter's House, you can visit pottershouse.org. The Lord is going to do a work among us through His Word. Nehemiah, the fourth chapter, and I just, I want to start in verse 11. And our adversaries said they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Which a negative Nancy's trying to kill the vision. Therefore, I position men. Listen to the transition word of this. That the Jews are telling him, wherever you turn, they're going to be upon you. And Nehemiah said, therefore, when I heard that, I didn't run. Come on, somebody. I didn't cower in fear. I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. And I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, this is where we're going to get our preaching power today. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren. Listen to this. Fight for your sons, your daughters your wives, and your houses. Verse 15. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing and that that all of us returned to the wall and everyone to his work. I'm going to preach this morning on the fight for the future. Look at the person next to you and tell them it's a fight for the future. There's a fight for the future. Over the last several weeks, the Lord has laid on our heart and we have been prophesying, preaching about sons and daughters. About the necessity for the body of Christ, but specifically this body of Christ, to stand up. For our sons and daughters. In prayer. In action. And in truth and love. How many of you have heard that theme over the last several months? Weeks really. There is a fight for the future. How many of you know one day you and I are going to be gone? We're going to be dead. My daughters and my son. Your daughters and sons are going to be alive on the earth. Come on now. While we're gone, there is a fight in the heavens over the future. Why do you think it is that the devil is trying to deceive sons and daughters? Why do you think he is trying to attack the generation that's alive on the earth today? Because there's a fight for the future. And the church, oh Jesus help us. And the church has been so preoccupied with its politics, with its procedures, with its four walls, that we have come to a place where we're losing the fight for the future. Millennials are leaving the church in droves. Come on now. 
Generations are leaving the church in droves looking for a spiritual experience they're going to find and be left empty because of when the church has the answer. But we are, we, are, we are okay to sit on the sideline while our sons and daughters fight a battle they're not equipped to win. Because the church hasn't equipped them to win. Okay, I'm going to get back here where I'm safe. We need a strategy. Somebody shout strategy. We need a str- I believe you need a strategy for every era, for every year of your life. How am I going to accomplish what God wants me to accomplish in the next year of my life? You need a strategy for every child. I love all my children, but Jocelyn and Gwen are totally different. They're both girls, but they're totally different. Tobin is a boy, and he's totally different. Come on now. So how I raised Jocelyn isn't going to work on Tobin. The principles of the scripture remain the same. It never changed the principles of the scripture. But the way that I apply those principles is going to change. I can't apply Jocelyn's principles to Gwen because Gwen is not Jocelyn. Come on now, somebody. If you've got children in your home or you still have influence over them, you need a strategy. Somebody shout strategy. If we are going to win the fight for the future, we've got to have a strategy. A strategy. Number one, you got to understand that when you begin to build, you are going to be mocked. You're going to be mocked. This word, Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 1 beginning, but it so happened when Samballot heard that we were rebuilding the wall. We talked about him last week. That he was furious and indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren, the army of Samaria, and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, whatever they build. You see the critics run in packs. People who have a spirit of criticism on them, they never run in isolation. They try to get people on their side. Uh, Whatever they build, even if a fox goes up it, he will break down their stone wall. The word mocked in this scripture means to scoff or to ridicule, uh, to speak words which disparage another as an extension of stuttering or stammering sounds. Oftentimes in society, if you are on social media at all in the past, one of the, one of the things that has been prevalent in, our, in, in secular music has been prevalent in social media, is the term haters. Y'all ever heard that word? Haters? Haters, right, okay. Everybody's got haters, but I would like to ask you the question, could you point them out to me? Oh, God, real quiet in the room. Because everybody says they got haters, but who's hating on you? Okay. Because, number one, the first thing I realized is dogs don't bark at parked cars. So if you go to work and you go home and you don't pray and you don't fast and you're not actively building something for the kingdom, you don't have haters. 
You're not doing anything. But if you're building for the kingdom and you're doing the work of God and you're doing the work of the kingdom, you are going to have people that are going to mock you. They're going to come against you. Now there are two types of haters. There are the real ones who are flesh and blood. Who if you get in the right mood, you'll be ready to fight. I'm in a thanks- I am in a vacation mood this morning because it's Thanksgiving. I'm not even going on vacation, but I feel loose. That if the mood got right, you'd fight them. Don't be sanctified in the room. You know it's true. Then there's the other ones that you can't see. And then they're called your insecurities. They're called your insecurities. Nobody's telling you you can't do it. That's your insecurity telling you you can't do it. Nobody's telling you you're not good enough. That's your insecurity telling you you're not good enough. Nobody's telling you that they could do it better. That's your insecurity telling you. That's the devil telling you that you can't, they could do it better. And in the world we live in, which is fast-paced, everybody's highlight reel, you will always find somebody doing it better than you. God did not call me to do it better than them. God called me to be obedient to what he told me to do. I'm not doing what what they're doing. God didn't call me to what they're doing. God called me to do what God called me to do. Uh, We let our insecurities rob us of building for Jesus. Nobody told you you couldn't do it. Come on now. You see somebody else doing it and you think to yourself, I'll never reach that level. Who told you that? God didn't tell you that. God didn't. God never put a level for you to reach. The level that God wants you to reach is to be obedient to his commands. Mm. And in being obedient to his commands, if I'm obedient to him, he's going to take me to a place of defined success. Come on now. Y'all with me so far? And, and you may have had people growing up that tell you you never amount to nothing. You can't do it. Some of you have real people who said real things to you. Those are word curses that need broken over your life. Because God didn't say that to you. And his blood speaks a better word. God didn't say that. So so here's their scoffers. Number one, we run into the man named Sam Ballot. His name literally means sin gives life. His name was not only a bait to believe in something contrary to the word, but it was bait to believe in a lie. The lie that sin gives life and gives pleasure longer than it does. And when you're building, there is always a temptation to fall into sin that besets us. To fall into sin that knocks us off course. Not only to fall into sin, but to fall into deception. To believe a lie. And so Sambalat was sent against the people to get them to believe a lie. Come on. Get them to believe something that wasn't true. Paul wrote in Corinthians that we are not ignorant of the devil's devices. 
In Ephesians, he talks about the wiles of the devil. That word wiles means the thought processes of the devil. We're not ignorant concerning his thought processes. Do you want to know how the devil thinks? Opposite of the word of God. Opposite of the way God thinks. So if you want to know what God is thinking, read the Bible, and with discernment, you will be able to clearly identify what is the devil. Come on. Romans 6.23 said the wages of sin is what? Death. It's still death. I don't care what society tries to make of it. Sin still leads to death. Sin separates man from God. Come on. I know you, you, you could watch TV. You could watch a commercial. You could. Oh, Lord Jesus. I had a friend of mine send me a, a message the other day with a video where Santa Claus turned bisexual. It's a commercial on television. And they make sin look cute. And they dress sin up in Santa Claus red and beard and have him kiss another man. And make people, oh Lord Jesus, make people feel like they're okay as long as the culture is going that way. The wages of sin is death. Still today. But the gift of God. Come on now. We shout. Yeah, sin is death. Preach the truth. Here's the second truth to that. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, so the mocker came, Sambalad came, declaring sin is life. It's a lie. To get them to believe that lie that he was bringing. And follow closely behind Sambalad was Tobiah. Now, I've preached on this platform about Tobiah before many years ago, so let me give you a crash course. Number one, Tobiah is a critic. Somebody say critic. Critic. He said this. Now, Sam Ballard's over here yakking. What are they going to do? Rebuild the stones that are burned? And then Tobiah has to kick in. Yeah, yeah, dude. Even if a fox goes up it, it's going to knock the wall down criticizing the work of God criticizing what God told Nehemiah to do a critical spirit is never pleased never you will never please a critical person critical people always expect and find disappointment wherever they look Critical people are the opposite of 1 Corinthians 13. It arrogantly judges. It's easily provoked. It keeps score and accounts for every wrong. It never carries any hope of being pleased. It's awfully quiet in this church this morning. Mm, I was about to say something. I'm going to hold that one. The critic always knows more than the leader does. The critic always knows more, listen, than the person who's been anointed to do it. It's a dangerous place to be. The, the critic 
knows more than the person who's prayed about it. No more than the person who's fasted about it. No more than the person who's lost sleep over it. Knows more than the person who's been disciplined for it. The critical person will always find a way to be disappointed. Always. It's funny that in a stadium, the loudest people are the ones in the nosebleeds or the ones sitting on their couch at home. Yesterday, I was chief among them. <laughs> Maybe not chief. Some of y'all might have been worse than me. But I'm sitting there thinking, I mean, for a flash second, man, I could play better. And then I thought, Michael, you are, you are out of shape. You just filled yourself with turkey and ham. There is no chance you would get mauled. But that's a critical person. I didn't, I didn't practice with the team. I didn't show up when they were getting together. I didn't listen to the coach. All I did was show up and talk about everything they're doing wrong. Y'all don't like this. I can tell. I told our staff, and I'll just tell you, if you're not going to pray with us, your opinion will not count. Sorry. I know that offends some of you. But if you're not going to pray about it, why would I listen to anything you've got to say? It's Thanksgiving weekend. Go ahead, Michael. Offend everybody. I will. If you're not going to pray about it with us, I don't want to hear what you've got to say about it. Because the critical spirit will sit in the nosebleeds while the game is going on and criticize every decision. Guess what, baby? You don't have a headset on. You don't know what the conversation is. You don't know what the setting is. You're making a decision sitting on your couch in your warm blanket watching your flat screen TV with food everywhere and they're down there playing the game. This is not a rebuke against Ohio State fans. This is a rebuke against people who come to church and sit on the pew and leave and then get mad when something doesn't go their way. They don't serve. They're not involved. They're not engaged with what's going on. But they come to church and they leave. And then the pastor says, we're going to do this because God said it. And all of a sudden the email comes in. Well, I don't think that's right. Did you pray about it? Did you fast about it? If you didn't, shut up. In the name of Jesus, be quiet. Critics, number two, we got to move off this or I'm going to get in deep waters. Number two, Tobiah was a divider. Nehemiah 6 and 18, there were many in Judah sworn to Tobiah. Should have been sworn to Nehemiah. But they were sworn to the enemy. Because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara. If we're going to build, there has to be unity. And Tobiah is the spirit that gets in the midst and starts messing unity up. Unity isn't sameness. If we were all Michael Oldfield, this church would be boring, number one. 
Number two, y'all would know what I'm going to preach before I preach it. It wouldn't be no fun. I'm me. I am who I am. I can reach who God has given me the influence to reach. If we were all the same, there would be a minute group of people we could reach. But because I'm me, and Pastor Joe is him, and my wife is her, and Jean is him, and John is him, and Carlos is him, and Paulina is her, I know that we can reach a whole lot of people. Unity is not sameness, it's the celebration that Jesus died on the cross to save red and yellow, black and white, so that we could reach a world that looks red and yellow, black and white. What did, why did God have to confuse them at the Tower of Babel? Because he said, if, they, if I let them continue because of their unity, they will accomplish anything they put their heart to. So he had to confuse them. You are not God. You do not deserve the right, reserve the right to get in what God is building and breed confusion and division. Paul said to mark those who cause division. <laughs> I love Paul. Because Paul, Paul starts his letters off so kind. Greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul. And his mercy and grace be multiplied unto you. Some of y'all need to get your act together. He starts with the butter knife and then he pulls out the Swiss army knife. Paul said to mark those who cause division. And Tobiah is a dividing spirit. Presence, prayer, people, process. All these values mean nothing if we're not one. It was Jesus. Jesus could have prayed so many things in John 17. He could have prayed, God, pour out your spirit on them. God, give them signs, miracles, and wonders. God, let them preach real good. God, let them be anointed when they get up to lead worship. That's not what he prayed. He didn't pray, give them favor with the government. He said, Father, make them one. As you and I are one. Make them one. And then, then Tobiah is a, is a fear spirit. The enemy always sends fear and anxiety into the work and into the builders to throw them off course. Always sends fear and anxiety. What if this doesn't work? What if we do this and nothing happens? Fear and anxiety. He, he's a critic, he's a divider, and he carries a spirit of fear. So you've got sin gives life coming to deceive the people, and Tobiah has come to criticize them, divide them, and put them in fear. Put them in fear. But, but, but something happened. Because I, I, love, I love the word of God. Because in... in after Nehemiah goes over what Sambalan and Tobiah had to say. Listen. In verse 6. I love it. So we built the wall. Didn't stop. Didn't put our swords and our hammers down. We heard what they had to say. And we just went back to building. 
We heard what they had to say. We heard their criticism. And we went back to building. And he continues. And the entire wall was joined together up half its height. For the people had a mind to work. Give us that mind, Holy Ghost. Now it happened when Sambalat and Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that, listen, heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to close. They became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. What is the response of the flesh when faced with opposition? Quitting. The response of the flesh when faced with opposition is to quit. To shut it down and to call it a day. First, 2 Corinthians 7, 5. For when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without, we're fighting. Within, we're fears. So what's he saying? He said, we were fighting on the outside, and we were afraid on the inside. First Thessalonians 3 and 2. We sent Timothy, who was our brother and God's fellow worker, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in the faith that you... Uh, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. Job 3.26, trouble came. Job 5 and 7, yet man is born unto trouble. Job 14.1, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Psalm 116.3, I found trouble and sorrow. Hey, guess what? Trouble is everywhere. We were born under trouble. Man's life is short but full of trouble. And when you get into trouble, the flesh decision is to put it down and quit. The flesh decision is to put it down and be done. But Nehemiah said, I'm not going to be moved by this opposition from these unsanctified, unruly, uncircumcised men. I hear what you have to say. I'm listening to what you're saying. But what I'm going to do, I'm not going to put the sword down. I'm not going to put the hammer down. I'm not going to put the blueprint down. I'm going to keep on building i'm going to keep on working the bible said in, in later on in nehemiah that they came and wrote him letters to put him in fear and they wanted him to come down off the wall and nehemiah said i can't come down i'm building this wall and so for some of you who are going through trouble for some of you who are going through opposition you've got to understand you cannot quit you cannot throw in the towel you cannot give up it goes back to last week there was a burden god put on the inside of you that he is destined and designed for you to carry out to advance his kingdom look at the person next to you and tell him you just can't quit you just can't quit number two they kept building number one number two they were willing to work Verse 6, for the people had a mind to work. If you want to know what will kill the call of God faster than anything in your life, one of them is a word we don't talk about much, laziness. 
There are a sum total of zero shortcuts in the kingdom of God. A sum total of zero. If you're not willing to pray, God won't use you. And it's not God's decision, it's yours. If you're not willing to read the scripture and, and, and study to show yourself approved a workman, rightly dividing the word of God, God won't use you. If you won't fast, God won't use you. If you don't have integrity and character, there are zero shortcuts in the kingdom. Zero. I'm going to talk about it this morning. I've, I've heard all my life, well, you're just where you are because you're in old field. Oh, it got real quiet in the room. Because some of y'all think that, and I quite don't care. You, you, you just, you're just where you're at because your last name's Oldfield and because of who your daddy is. I'm not going to lie, that probably plays a little bit of a role in it. Because I have a dad who has integrity and character, and he raised me right. But number two, it, 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 it doesn't make sense because of all the times that I prayed. And the hours I spent on my face before the Lord. And the times that I fasted and sacrificed and gave up, God's anointing is not my daddy's anointing. My daddy carried God's anointing and God anointed me just like he anointed him. Because I had the mind to work. I didn't just wake up one day and my father said, hey, you're going to pastor the church. Great. No, I woke up one day, I was in my bedroom in the middle of the night as a 17-year-old on my face before God, tears in my carpet, asking God to use me, asking him to break me, saying yes to the call of God on my life, and then applying myself to his word. It's the same for you. If you want to be used by God, get delivered from laziness. I had somebody tell me the other day, well, you know, preaching is like, what, 99% of what you do? I said, ha! I wish! I people ask me all the time, what do you do throughout the week? You don't want to know. I've got a mind to work. Because the Bible said work while it is light. And we are running out of time. And if we want to sit here and bicker about how we're going to work and why we got to do things and why we got to show up, we don't need it. Because here's what I understand. There is an urgency in the spirit. There is an urgency in the heart of God that time is ticking away. And if the church doesn't get its act together, we are going to miss the greatest harvest that has ever been reaped on the earth. The people had a mind to work. Come on now. Had a mind to work. So they were made in the mocking. They were mocking them. They were showering criticism down on them. And Nehemiah decided we're not throwing in the towel. In their face, we're going to keep building. We're going to keep building. So they were made in the mocking and then Nehemiah built in the mocking. 
Verse 7 and 8, I just read it a minute ago. Now it happened when Sambalat and Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed. They became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Skip to verse 11 with me if you're reading. And our adversaries said they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came, they told us ten times, not one time, ten times. You ever know somebody that just carries bad news and they want to make sure you know they've got bad news? Not one time, ten times, told us. From wherever you turn, they're going to be upon you. Hmm. Here's that transition word again. Therefore, I didn't quit. I didn't throw in the towel. I didn't sit down. Therefore, I positioned the men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. And I set the people according to their families with their swords, spears, and bows. And I looked and arose and said to them, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. break this down number one Sambalat, Tobiah the Arabs, the Ammonites the Ashdodites, their enemies were not angry when the work started they were angry when the work started working l- 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 listen, listen listen to verse 6 so we built the wall the entire wall was joined together up to half its height now recognize These men did not want this wall to be rebuilt. They were criticizing the whole time, but whatever Nehemiah was doing was working. It was working. And when they heard the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps, everybody shout the gaps. The gaps were beginning to be closed. They became very angry. I need two men quick. Come on, come on, Randy. Come on, James. I just want you all to just, just... You stand up here and just like six feet apart. When the gaps started closing. Because when the gaps were open, the enemy could come and go as he pleased. there, There was nothing restraining him from coming upon the people in the city. There was nothing keeping him from moving and bringing destruction into the city. I need a few more men to run up here. Quick. Come on, Caleb, come here. Gene, come here. Come on, Austin. Jeff, come on. That's good. That's good. Just just y'all stand over here. Just stand over here. So the gap is wide open. They did not care that the wall had been rebuilt because there were still gaps in the wall. They could still get in. Could still bring fire. Could still bring the chariots. In our day, can still bring confusion. Still bring perversion. Still bring attacks on marriages. I can still attack a generation. I can still work on righteousness in governments and politics. And just on and on. And what has happened is, 
because the church at one time was the filler of the gaps. But then we got distracted and we came off our posts and we became like David who should have been on the battlefield but was sitting up in his king's chambers out on the porch and he became infatuated with Bathsheba across the way and while his men were out dying and his people were being defeated David was falling into an affair while we should have been at our post madly in love with Jesus doing his will we came off our post and we got into an affair with the world And now this time later, we've turned around and now we are reaping the fruit of leaving the gaps that we were supposed to watch open. I think I might be a little bit more convinced that what we are experiencing culturally is not God's judgment it's the church's seed of indifference. It's the church's indifference to come out of the gap and to be infatuated and in an affair and fornicate with the world than to stand where God placed us. But Nehemiah said, I I've got a burden. And when I walk around these walls and I see them down, I recognize I've got to start filling the gap. Stand shoulder to shoulder. I start filling the gap. And, and wait a second. Wait. And, and then the enemy one day came and he recognized, oh, wait. The way that I was supposed to come through here doesn't work anymore. And there's still a gap, so I'll go around this way. But that was a lot more difficult because now there's intercessors. Now there's prayer warriors. Now there's mothers and fathers. Something's happened here. We need to get something together, but there's a gap still here. And Nehemiah said the gap is still too big. So he got more. He put them there. And he got another. And he put them there. And watch what happened. When the gap was even a little bit open, the enemy was still like, eh, it's all right. I can still get through. Uh, but now when, when Tobiah and Sambalat and the Ammonites and the Ashtadites and the Arabs came and saw, wait a second, the gap that was there before is now closed. That's when the warfare started. The warfare didn't start because Nehemiah picked up a hammer and started putting stone on stone. The warfare started when the work started working. So some of you who are going through warfare in your life right now, you need to thank God that whatever you're doing is working. And you're not doing it just to do it. You're doing it and the devil's fighting it. And because the devil's fighting it, you can be assured that it's working. So that they came to the wall and they looked and said, there's no gap anymore because I used to come in here and I, I can't get through anymore. And look what happens. There's a tension here. I got my elbows in Austin's ribcage. There's pain here. There's mess here. There's, there's an issue here. And what happens is you get in the middle, you get in the gap, and this is where things get messy. This is where the warfare starts. This is where the blood starts spilling. This is when abortion is trying to get through the gap. This is when marriages are 
unveiling is trying to get through the gap. And this is when this is when unholiness is trying to get through the gap. And this is when when all these issues of perversion and confusion are trying to get through the gap. But now there's intercessors who have stood in the gap and the messy warfare has started. And now the enemy's got to take a step back and he's got to say, what I used to do isn't working anymore because somewhere, somehow, the church got its act together and got back in the gap where it was intended to be in the first place. When the gap started closing is when the enemy got angry. Woe unto the watchmen who have gone blind. We wonder, well, why? Why confusion? Why perversion? Because the gap has been left wide open. It's been left wide open. Not only has there been a gap in the city, but there's been a gap in the church. A gap of people coming in with all their sin. And that we don't close the gap so the people can't leave. And I'm not saying we're going to hold them hostage. I'm saying we've, we've presented them with a feel-good gospel. That Jesus just wants to make your life better. The gospel is not come and live a better life. The gospel is come and die. That doesn't sound like a better life. It's come and die. And every part of you that dies takes on his nature and character. That's a better life. The warfare started when the work started working. And they said, we're going to get in between all y'all and we're going to kill you. I need two more guys quick. Two more guys quick. Come on, Ryan. Come on, G. Come on. That's all right. So he said the gap started closing. And they said, well, we're going we're gonna to get in to the middle of it all. So, so we've got intercessors, prayer warriors, people who will fight here. Mm. And now, he said, so I positioned them. Come with me. He said, so I positioned them by the wall. Turn and face that way. And you, yeah, you turn and face that way. I positioned them by the wall so that they could watch. So that they could watch. And, and I think we've got our eyes plucked out. Because number one, there are gaps in the wall. And number two, the watchmen haven't sounded the alarm of what's on the way. And if they have, the church has been deaf. Because the church only wants flowers and sunshine and roses. Paul said we're in war and the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but they are mighty through God of the pulling down of strongholds. Come on somebody. And so Nehemiah said I'm not just going to close the gaps. That's one thing to do. But now I've got to set watchmen on her wall so the enemy doesn't come and start trying to take out the gap again. I believe God is calling the potter's house to be in the messy middle. God is calling the potter's house to stand in the messy middle and to fight the things that nobody else wants to fight. To stand for things that nobody else wants to stand for.
And if they do want to stand for it, they're awfully quiet about it. Thank you, guys. There's a gap. And it wasn't when the walls... It, it, listen, what did I talk about last week? Before you build, count the cost. Not the cost to start, but the cost to finish. Starting is easy. All Nehemiah had to do was pick up one stone and put it on the other. That's a pretty easy task. It might be difficult getting there. But once you actually start the work, it's a pretty easy task. But to finish the work means you're going to have to stand in the gap and endure affliction. You're going to have to stand in the gap and take the devil's best shot. Come on. The gap. When the gap closed, the warfare started. Y'all with me? Then there was, they heard of the attack. And he said, nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. The first response to opposition should be to find the place of prayer. Come on. Find the shelter of his presence. The first response to attack is prayer. We made our prayer to our God. Then I just showed you the second thing he did. I set a watch against them. Now I showed you one side of the wall. But this was a massive wall. So in multiple areas. He set up people with weapons. And he set up watchmen. The strategy for the attack. I just showed you. Position. Nehemiah positioned them. I told you, if you have a strategy, you can win. Come on. If you have a strategy, you can win. I hate to keep bringing this up because we're all bummed about it. But according to recruiting rankings, Ohio State is significantly more talented than Michigan is. But because Michigan had a strategy... I hate saying that, but I have to be realistic. Because they had a strategy, which was just to maul us all day, they won. You can have less talent, less ability, come on, less charisma, and have a strategy. And because you've got a strategy, you can win. They didn't have the weapons that the Ammonites and the Ashdodites and the Arabs did, but they had a strategy. And the strategy was, I see a vulnerability and the weapons we do have, I'm going to put in the vulnerable places and I'm going to set up watchmen and we're going to win. We're going to win. And Nehemiah was poised. He said, I looked and I arose and said, you can feel them unction in nehemiah i got up in front of those people and i said to them don't you dare be afraid why remember the lord come on now don't you dare let your fear keep you out of the gap remember the lord well she read that scripture a while ago uh or the the, the, the lamenting prophet 
was speaking and he said, this I call to my mind. What was he saying? This I remember. What's the cure for quitting? Remember. What's the cure for wanting to give up? Remember. He said, this I call to my mind, therefore have I what? Hope. I got hope. I recall to my mind the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. And Nehemiah said to them, I need you. While you're standing here in this gap, while you're standing here with the weapons, while you're standing here watching, I need you to remember the stories that you've heard long ago. I need you to remember like Moses when he was standing at the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army was behind him and God split the sea on Moses' behalf. I need you to remember when Joshua came up against that great fortified city called Jericho and he encountered the captain of the Lord host and he walked around the city and shouted and the walls came tumbling down I need you to remember David and his mighty men that Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands what Nehemiah was saying was I know that it looks scary I know there's opposition I know you might be afraid but this is not the first time and this is not the last time we're gonna be here and when you get here I need you to stand up straight straighten your spine stand firm and remember God who doesn't change day to night and night to day he never changes he's never changed I need you to remember the same God who split the sea is the same God that's with us now the same God that caused the walls of Jericho to come tumbling down is the same God that's with us now don't be afraid of them and remember the Lord And then he said, fight. Don't sit down. Come on, somebody. Don't sit there and mope. Sit there and mourn because you're afraid. You get up. You straighten your spine. You remember whose side you're on and who's on your side and you pick up your weapons and fight. And he gives us a list. He says, fight, fight, fight for your sons. If you aren't going to fight for yourself, fight for your children. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your brothers. If you're not going to fight for yourself, fight for the person standing next to you. Fight for your brother. Fight for your husbands. Fight for your wives. And he ends it like this. Fight for your houses. If you can't find it in you to fight for yourself, fight for somebody else. In his revolutionary book called The Art of War, Sun Zhu said, men must be aroused to anger in order to kill the enemy. So I asked a question on this Thanksgiving weekend. Is there a righteous anger on the inside of you? Is there? Because it's easy in this setting where the anointing is to say yes. But when you get up in the morning and you don't feel the anointing, is there still righteous anger on the inside of you that causes you to say, I'm not going to be afraid? Why would I be afraid? 
the God who controls angel armies is on, I'm on his side. God's not on sides. God's not on your side. He's not on my side. I'm on his side. God, God's, God's not on the Republican side. He's not on the Democrat side. God's on his side. I said God's on his side. And I want to be on his side. And because I'm on his side, I'm not afraid. I don't care what they say. I'll face the opposition. I'll speak the truth and I'll continue building because I remember God. I said, I remember God. I remember when they said it wasn't going to work and it worked. I remember when they said we don't have enough money and God provided. I remember when the doctor said it wasn't going to work but God healed. Come on, somebody shout. I remember. I remember. And because I remember, I'm going to fight. Slap your neighbor and tell him it's a fixed fight. It's a fit. Read all the way to the back of the book. Victory belongs to Jesus and the devil can't take it from him. Victory belongs to Jesus and the devil's already been defeated. Victory belongs to Jesus and there's nobody, no thing, no virus, no government, no politics, no confusion, no perversion that can snatch victory out of the hands of Jesus Christ. I fight because I know it's a fixed fight and it's already over. Who? How would you fight if you were convinced that you were going to win? Come on, I'm talking to five or six people in the room. I said, how would you fight? How would you act if you knew you were going to win? Mm-mm-mm. You know, that game last week against Michigan State. I flip that on YouTube and I watch it, and guess what I don't do? I don't worry. I don't doubt. I'm not afraid. I don't have angst. You know why? I already know they win. So why, if I serve the God of the heavens and the earth who created everything with one word, Why if I serve him who's got all power in his hand, would I worry, would I doubt, would I be afraid, would I have angst? Because just like last week's game, the path of my life, every battle, every fight, every war, it's already been won. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. I do. Flip to the back of the book. We win, no matter the weapon, and he will take the devil, and he will cast him into a lake of fire, and he will create a new heaven and a new earth. At the end of the day, whether I feel it on this side or not, I've got the victory. And Nehemiah said, when I hear of their opposition, We were filling the gaps. I put watchmen on the wall. I put them there with war. And I encouraged them. Don't be afraid. Remember whose side you're on. And fight. Ooh, let me grab my Bible. Because I want to read this to you. I want to read it to you. Then verse, then verse 15. He. And it happened. When our enemies heard. 
that it was known to us that God brought their plot to nothing. That all of us went back to work on the wall. It happened. I, I want to flip over here and read this real quick. It's a bless you. Nehemiah 13, at the end of it, at the end of it all, because this is the last session of our, of, our, of our series. At the end, I want you to know how it ended. In, verse thir- in chapter 13, verse 1, on that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God. Because they had not met with children of Israel, bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Hey, listen to this. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. I just wonder maybe right here before I end, is there anybody in the room that can just testify and say that God turned it? That when it could have been for my evil, God turned it. When it could have been for my evil, that God made a way where there was no way. And when it could have been for my cursing, God turned it. into a blessing don't be afraid remember the Lord and fight stand on your feet all over this room don't be afraid remember the Lord and fight there may come a day when governments come after the freedom of the assembly of the saints our power is not contrived from our assembly together our power comes from one who sits on the throne (laughs) they can't stop the truth from going forth They've tried to kill the truth for decades. You can't stop truth. You can't kill truth. They tried to get the church to stop meeting. And the kingdom of God still advanced. Come on, somebody. I just hear talking to myself. I'll preach to me. That's all right. No matter the weapon, we win. In the gates of hell. The gates of hell cannot withstand against it. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. And thanks to those of you who give so generously to make things like this possible. You can click the link in the description or go to pottershouse.org for more details and to see the exciting things happening here at the church and how you can get involved. We encourage you to share this week's message with your friends and family. We look forward to seeing you next week.